0: Ephesians, the second chapter. And this is real important. And we've said this before, you know, looking at the whole thing in its own light. uh, Looking at the scriptures and the setting are real helpful to us. They're needful. And uh, so that being said, Ephesians, the second chapter, it says this in the first verse. It says, and you he made alive. Notice that. And you... He made alive. Well, that doesn't always make a lot of sense if you're just a natural person because you say, I I was never dead. I've been alive since, oh, 34 years ago, 50 years ago, 80 years ago, 12 years ago. I was alive when I got born. Well, you were physically alive, and what we need to realize is when he's talking about being alive, He's not talking about all the time just existing as a person. And so notice this here. It says, and you he made alive. He already did this. He made you and I alive who were dead. Somebody said, I, I, what do you mean dead? Dead. What people need to realize is, is that once without Christ, we were dead. Let me say that again. Spiritually, inside, we were dead. We were not alive. Dead in the Bible can mean, you know, you've died and you left your body. But even in leaving your body, you're only separated from your earth suit. You don't cease to exist when you die. But the issue is, is what is death? What is one thing that death is? Death is separation from God's life. So when it says you were made alive, that means there is a time when people don't have the life of God. Jesus said it this way, I've come so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That doesn't mean so we wear party hats and go, we're having a party. No, when he's talking about having life, he actually literally means being made alive spiritually with God's life. So in all reality, when people say, you know, if a Christian just says, I'm a sinner, and they look at themselves like that, it's totally not right. I know that goes against people, you know. You know, you ever pet a cat? Anybody ever pet a cat or a dog? You ever do it the wrong way? Usually the cat's not pleased, the dog's not pleased, and it doesn't feel pleasing to you either. Sometimes you say a statement like that, and somebody's, it rubs somebody's fur the wrong way. It's only because they've been sleeping on it wrong. It's bent wrong. In other words, when we're talking about being made alive with the life of God, we're not talking about something mental, and we're not talking about something physical. We're talking about something that happens when a person gets saved. They get a brand new nature. They may still sin, but by nature, they're not a sinner. Is God a sinner? You know, Would you ever talk to Him like you're a sinner? Why? Because it's not His nature. But you would think... The devil's a sinner, right? Wouldn't you? That's just his business. But you're born with God's nature, the Bible said. You get his nature inside. A new spirit's given unto you. And what it is, is that the Bible said death passes away and you get his life and his nature. So you get a different nature. So by nature, you're not a sinner. But you could sin, right? Right? Could a person who's not saved live right? Yeah, totally. We see them. They can obey the laws of the land. They're not like, I can't. I couldn't help it. I'm a sinner. I had to go 250 miles an hour. No, they can if they want. But it's not their nature to just live a certain way. And we get a new nature. And we're alive unto God. We have His life in us. That's why He said, "In you who were dead... Or you who were dead, you could read it backwards, he has made alive. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Then he talks about how we once used to walk. It's important for us to know that we have eternal life. We have God's life. When we've received Jesus, our mind is not different. That's why we're commanded to renew our mind. And so if a Christian doesn't know, they'll feel condemned whenever they have a bad thought. They'll go, what's wrong with me? I thought I was saved. I thought God loved me. I thought I was doing great. But, they, but we all know there's something once you get saved that's working on the inside. There's a reality. It's called new life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. And it literally means zoe is the Greek word. It means God's life. And have it more abundantly. So in this context of the book of Ephesians, he's talking to people who have received Christ Jesus, who have, you know, if you read on in that 10th verse, we've been recreated in Christ unto good works. You could say it like this, you were made to function different once you got saved. It's not natural to just function like you used to after you got saved. Totally different. I mean, if a car, you know, we, we see cars or we grew up, you watch TV, that somebody gets a car and they, they make it different. They make it into like a race car. You know, the car wasn't made to do that in the beginning, but after it's made to perform and do something a certain way. And we were recreated, the Bible said in Christ, under good works. Under good works. It's the natural course of life for a believer to live for God and live different. But if your mind's not renewed, you'll think, no, that's not me. And then if you hear stuff, and people are willing to condemn themselves many times after they're Christians, and they shouldn't, and they'll think, yeah, well, I'm just a dirtbag, I'm just this, and, you know, I just don't got much, and no, you've got God's life. You're actually connected with Christ when you get saved. He becomes the head of your life and you become part of his body. Now, let me say this. What if Jesus came up to you today and you said, hi, Jesus, I love you. You look stupid. I don't like your body. You wouldn't say that to him. You'd be like, man, you're awesome. Well, we are his body now. And so we should be thinking different about ourselves We should think, man, I've got life in me, right? Like a power cable, you know? A big cable can be laying on the ground, and it can be so harmless looking, right? Just look, whatever. But if you see a down cable from a pole, don't go touch it. Don't go touch it. That looks harmless to me. That looks harmless. I told this story. It's been probably years, but I knew a guy back when I was in school in California. Uh, There was this park, uh, Sandy Miss Canyon Park, and these guys were up there partying. And this guy, for like a buck or five bucks, he said, these guys said, "Well, well, I dare you to go climb over that power pole. And it was one of the big metal ones, you know. So he climbed and climbed and got up there, and he didn't even make it over the top, and he grabbed, you know, uh, and it wasn't one of the huge, huge ones because he'd have been dead, but he went to grab, and the power, that was, it looked harmless. Every now and then, if you've ever been by one of those poles, and they make a mmm noise. You know, what some Christians don't know is when they start praising the Lord and they get a little mmm noise, it's a lot more than a little mmm. You just connect with it, and it can do all kinds of things. Well, that guy reached his hand up like this, didn't even touch the wire, and the, a volt, bolt of power shot in and hit him in the armpit and threw him off the telephone pole. And he was basically broken bones, burned all over his body. He lived, but he, I remember seeing him months later when he was finally able to get up. His parents had to file bankruptcy. I mean, power jumped in. It was there the whole time. It looked harmless. But we need to be educated that they're not harmless. And you're not without power and ability in God's life. And, and uh, literally, I remember seeing him after, because you know, this is before I was living with the Lord. He showed up at a party, you know, like a worldly party, and he was in a wheelchair. This is no joke. Uh, one arm in a cast, the other in a small thing, his legs, and his friends wheeled him in. He hadn't been outside months and months and months, so he wanted to go to this party. This is no joke. Talk about a nature that is wrong. When everybody was partying, they took the keg to steal it, put it in his lap, and wheeled him out, and we caught him out front. He wasn't probably the most wise of people, because you can't pick a fight with him. I mean, you know, he's in casts all over his body and stuff like that. What are you doing? You got to get out of here. But you think about it. That power was not revealed until he did something to connect with it. And we need to understand that's why we're going through this, how to connect with the power and the life of God that's in us. That life comes in you when you get saved. You are spiritually dead without Christ. That's why we have scriptures that say, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And therefore, we've overcome these wicked ones. So when we receive Jesus, we get alive. We come alive. Now, go to Ephesians, back to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and we're going to start here. Because it's good to get that in your understanding, in your mentality. There's power there. There are dangerous things all over your house that will never harm you all the days of your life. Inherently, there is power all over your house. All over. All over the place there's power that will never harm you all your life probably. But do something wrong or connect with it a certain way and you'll go, Ooh, there's power. That's not how you have to learn there's power. You can be educated and recognize I can channel this power. I can channel the life of God when I share my faith. When I praise Him, when I pray, when I read, His life in me will teach me. He will affect me. He will do things in me. And so we need to recognize we have something just like a house. You know, it's so wild how so unconsciously we are aware to natural power. If you went to go look at a new house, a new apartment, you know, you're going to go buy you, you, the first thing you don't ask when you get in there, now, does this place got power in it? Does it have electricity? Do, do people ever ask that? No, I mean, unless it's some cabin, and you think, is there even power out here? But as a normal thing, if you're looking at a house or something, and even when people have come to your house, that's not one of the first or things they ask you. Do you have power here? That should not be what we're asking ourselves. Do we have life here? We should just know because we're educated from His Word. I've got life. It's just a matter of plugging in and connecting and yielding to it. Notice this, and we're going to begin reading in verse 14. Therefore, He says, talking about the world and people living in darkness and living a wrong life, He said, Therefore, verse 14, because people are living in a wrong way, And he even was saying here, some believers are not living appropriate. He said, therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep. Awake, you who sleep. The question is, is he talking to a saved person there or a person without eternal life? It has to be to a Christian. Because notice the next part. Arise from the dead. And Christ will give you light or give you more understanding. It's interesting, he said, Arise you who sleep. People who sleep and are woken up are already alive. I said, they're already alive. He's just saying you're not living alert. And isn't it interesting, he said, arise from the dead, you who sleep. Mm -hmm. Sleeping people definitely look like dead people, don't they? Unless they snore. (laughs) Right? But otherwise, I mean, they can really look just like a dead person. So he said, wake up. And what did he mean by wake up? He meant become alert. Recognize. Don't stay there. Begin to move away from that place. Move out of that. Because he said, arise from the dead. He goes, if you read back before, dead people live a certain way. If you are saved, you have divine life you are not created to live like the rest of the world. And here's something we need to know. A person who has life, who is really walking in the life, needs to understand we live for eternal purposes. When we take vacations and we leave, and we go to the beach, or we go somewhere, we never vacation from eternal purposes. We go hiking, we go to the mountains, we go to the lake, we go to work, we go to the park, we hang out at home. We never cease to live beyond eternal purposes. But people who sleep in life don't live eternally minded. They think more about the here, more about the now, more about what I can get. Not that there is a world beyond here. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you've ever wanted to take a trip, and you started thinking, and even if you knew you couldn't take the trip, but have you ever looked at those huts, you know, on those islands that are out on the water, and you're like, oh, that'd be cool. You just, like, sleep, and when you're done, you roll out of bed, roll in the water with a snorkel mask on and swim around and see these fish, and then, you know just swim back to your place or, you know, you you, don't you ever dream about those things and look and go, that would be a cool place? Sometimes I'm just as satisfied looking at a picture as going. (laughs) Then you don't have to fly, you just use your imagination, you're like, thank you. But the fact of the matter is you look at places that are real. There is a real place beyond here, it's called heaven. There is a real place beyond here called hell that was never created for humanity. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches hell was made for the devil and the angels, you know, that departed and left their first dwelling place with God. People go there because they don't receive Jesus. But if we're only thinking about the here and now, you know the here and now is real temporary. Not just because time is passing, but it has an expiration date. No matter what you do, no matter what you accomplish and earn here financially, and I think everybody should do their best, you know, or have whatever. I'm okay with that. I don't believe God is against it, He's against people being covetous. People who are covetous are not generous. People who are covetous are not givers. People who are covetous live for themselves. But who should have the money? People who are willing to give to the kingdom. God's not bothered by you living in a nice place or driving something nice, because then he would say, in my father's house are many condos. If it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to bring you back, and you're going to come live in this condo. I'm not saying anything bad about a condo. He didn't say condo. He didn't say a four-bedroom or five-bedroom house. He said, in my father's house are many mansions and i go to prepare one for you. and if that's his will in heaven, i don't think he'd be opposed if somebody lived in a nice place today. not saying oh, not saying if you're you're in the will of god if you live in a mansion or you don't. that would be foolish to think that way. because then jesus was never in the will of god cuz he didn't live in a mansion. but he was totally in the will of god. i'm just saying god's not opposed to those things, but we need to realize there is a place beyond here. There is a hell beyond here, and there is a heaven beyond here. And if we don't think in those type of terms, we'll start living more for just the now, not think about the opportunities that are in front of us, and that we only have a certain amount of time, each of us, and as a group. And here's the cool thing. It's not all dependent on you, but it is dependent on us. God wants all of us to do our part, no matter how big or small it is. It's important. You know, the Bible said this. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. He didn't say you're an individual set on a hill. He said you're a city. Have you ever been to where you can look down on a city? A city is a mass of people, not one. It's everybody's little light doing their part that lightens the area. It's not everybody doing something big and huge. Well, i got to do something huge. You know, I mean, I know years ago at concerts, I don't know if they do this anymore. You know, probably people are green. They wouldn't do this. You know, turn on their lighter, you know, all lights and everybody's got lighters on. It's like, whoa. Well, if one person did it, And people are like, oh, a lighter. But it looks totally different when you got 5,000 lighters out there. And it's totally different if you are in an area in the mountains where you can look down on a city. He said that city that's lit cannot be hid. So it's not us doing huge things. It's just us doing our thing. And I don't mean us as a whole, but us as a whole and us as individuals. Look at this verse. He said, therefore, he says... Awake you who sleep from the dead. Christ will give you light. He said you can wake yourself up. That just means you become aware of where you're at. Isn't it interesting when you're asleep, you don't know really what happens. You have dreams, you do different things. But when you wake up, you become alert to your circumstances or surrounding. I've done it before and I thought, you know... My room now, where I moved, is real dark. And seeing the direction around, it's totally different. Before, there was just a little bit of light so you could get up and kind of go, okay, here you go. But So what I do is I get up and I turn on the light so I can see what's there. And if you will arise, Christ will give you light. And he'll help you to walk this life and show you what to do. Because everybody matters And the big thing is we need to think beyond here and beyond now. Our giving is not just about here and now. Our living is not just about here and now. It's about a big picture. You with me? And the world needs us even though they may be opposed to us right now. They need us. I know it sounds funny, But they do. I said they do. And they need Jesus even if they're opposed to Him. I'm going to read this in the Amplified, uh, Ephesians uh, 5, 15, and 16. Therefore, uh, see that you walk carefully, living life with honor, purpose, or you could say aim, courage, shunning those or turning away from those who tolerate and enable evil. If people enable and tolerate evil, don't make them your close friend. Don't make them your close friend. Right? I mean, if you don't want something to get cooked, don't put it in a hot oven. And if you don't want it to get burned, don't leave it there. I know these are profound truths here but if you don't want something burned don't leave it in a hot oven for too long and if you don't want to get torched don't hang around don't make them your companions ones who enable and promote evil we have something more somebody said well I'm trying to win them well, you need to use wisdom and knowledge. Are you with me? And I know sometimes people in their good intentions, you know, I've seen people who got delivered from alcohol who said, now I'm going to all the bars to go reach people. When I was first saved, I learned, don't do that. You need to be stronger. You're not going to go in there to win people. You're going to end up being drunk. Some people are looking for ways to go... Do things and help, and you need to be aware where you are in life. Not trying to call somebody weak or something, but just understand. You know, I got saved, and I could have gone back to certain places. God dealt with me not to, but I could still reach people. I could still talk to people and bring people to church, and, but I didn't go hang around with my old friends anymore. I, I knew I couldn't. But notice it says, um, but be wise I'm sorry, I'll back up. those who tolerate and enable evil, shun those, turn away from them. not as the unwise, but as wise. Those are unwise things to do, but as wise, sensible, intelligent, deserting people. that's us making the very most of your time on earth, recognizing and taking advantage of every opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence because the days are filled with evil. Think about that. He said recognize, take advantage of every opportunity on the earth. You know if God deals with you and God talks to you and God's got a plan, the small stuff matters. The small stuff matters. said, the small stuff matters. Right? I mean, if I'm on a diet and I'm real good about breakfast and real good about lunch and real good about dinner, but I got a bag, big one of those one-pound bag of M&Ms, and there's just a little here and a little there and a little here and a little there, all afternoon, I may defeat the purpose. Just not trying to make things too obvious, but that's a fact. And it's not that you can't have fun, but whatever you're doing in life, have an eternal understanding that there's more. Because what it'll do is when you're with people, then you'll start thinking, where are they with God? There is a heaven. There is a hell. I do that. I'll see things, especially when people die uh, or I'm talking to people, I'll start thinking, wonder where they're at? Wonder where they're at with God. No, I don't mean people here like, oh, I wonder where Mike's at, man. God, is he saved. I mean, he's been coming here a while, but I've got some questions. No, I mean just the general people I run into. I start, when I think more about the afterlife and God, you start thinking there's something bigger. Where are they at with this whole thing? Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Peter. We're going to read another set of scriptures about this eternal life and us being alive and living with a divine purpose. And here's the thing. This race is not for the swift. You know, the Bible talks about that. This race that we're running is not for the person who can sprint right out of the gate. Just, woo-hoo, look at them go. Well, that's great. They're covering a lot of ground. But do they have the stamina to keep it up? What we need to do is realize this is not a sprint. This is more of a marathon. We're looking for the end result. And one thing that will help, help us go is to recognize where are at. If you're tired, Rest. But don't quit. Slow down. Recognize, am I crowding my life with other things? <clears throat> right? If, if, if I'm carrying stuff in my life that doesn't need to be there, I could be wearing myself out, and I shouldn't. Right? And so maybe there's some things I need to look at, and they would help me not to be tired in this walk. You're already going to face enough stuff. Because there's an unseen world. Whether you acknowledge it, it's out there. There are angels that will work on your behalf. In the Bible, it came and strengthened. I'm convinced people have made it through this Christian life. And it, totally ignorant and didn't even know an angel came and strengthened them. Or the Spirit of God strengthened them. Bible said that happened. And then all of a sudden they're like, I don't know how I made it through that test and trial, but here we go. And they were really divinely strengthened. Jesus was. At the end of a temptation, he got strengthened. An angel came and strengthened him. And so we need to know that this life is really influenced by other things. Man, if you sense discouragement coming on you, don't think, man, is it just that I'm having a blue Tuesday or something like that or a purple Monday or... You need to realize there can be things that just are talking to you and lying to you. And you need to say, go in Jesus' name. Because people can be trained to listen to negative stuff. And God's not putting blue stuff on you, trying to make you feel down and feel discouraged and feel depressed. That's why the scriptures say, don't give place to the devil. Resist him and he'll flee from you. Because he wants to push you down destroy your initiative, destroy your drive. You ever think when people are depressed they got a bunch of drive and they really want to do something? No, they don't. You need to recognize, hey, that's not God. That's not part of this life. And I can do something about it, and I can resist that. And live with purpose. Notice this in Second Peter, so we can finish up here. Second Peter, in the third chapter, and I think I'm going to read this from the Amplified too, but I'll read it first in the New King James. 3 verse 10. It says, But the day of the Lord. What's the day of the Lord? Well, today is His day for you, but there is a day of the Lord, a day when the Lord will come back. Listen, Paul, Peter, James, they all talked about an inevitable day coming. And somebody said, it's been 2,000 years. Well, if it was 3,000, it would still happen. Every day we get closer to it. Could be 100 years from now. But there's a principle behind the idea. Somebody said, well, if there's 100 years, i got a long time to go. Uh, no, because there's a different thought to this. Notice this in the 10th verse. But the day of the Lord will come. You could stop right there. The day of the Lord will come. The day He comes back will come. He will come back. Period. Either it's our time, and, or it's in the next generation, or the next generation, or in some generation, but He will come back says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away. Now, he doesn't mean heaven like where God dwells. He's talking about the heavens. When you go outside at night and admire the stars and the moon, he said the heavens will pass away with a great noise. <clears throat> and the elements, which are all the stuff in the earth, will melt with fervent heat. So don't get too attached to everything on the earth. Oh, but this is important. Well, you just hold on to it when the Lord comes back. It'll just melt right in your hand. You're like, whoa, but Lord, that is important to me. I mean, it'll be worse than an ice cream cone in your hand. It'll just go whoop and melt. It doesn't matter if it's a billion dollars. It doesn't matter what it is remember, it all melts. He said it will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth, because remember when the earth, when the Lord comes back, it has to be remade because we know that there's going to be some catastrophic events from wars and destruction and plagues and stuff like that and just all that's in it. It's already pretty dirty and pretty messed up right now. He said, not only the earth, but notice what else melts with the fervent heat. He said, the elements will melt with the fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Everything you accomplished. Henry Ford made the automobile. There ain't an automobile. I mean, think about the value the older ones have. And you go, oh, I collect cars. They'll all melt. Oh, but, but I've built this resort home to retire in. It'll melt. Your secret place in the mountains melts. The whole thing gets rebuilt. And the new Jerusalem comes down. It all ends. It all changes. There's nothing that will go on forever. Why is this important? He said it'll be burned up. You're like, wow, that's not good news. Well, maybe I shouldn't save. No, you still got to live here. Right? I mean, it'd be nice if, like, our credit card bills melted or something like that. But while we're here, they don't melt. It's when he comes back that it all melts. But notice, therefore... Since all these things, notice this, will be dissolved. They'll be so burnt, they'll be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be? Everything you live for, anything that's not of God, it just all burns. He even said, all your works will be tried by fire. Only the ones you did with God will remain and will you get a reward for but he said, since they're all going to be destroyed, what manner of persons ought we to be, or you to be, in holy conduct and godliness? When he talks about godliness, he's talking about a God mentality. Thinking about God, living for God, focusing more on Him. I mean, hey, if you like to go shopping, and you like to cruise through the mall and at the sh- look at the shops... That's okay, but have a bigger mentality. Think of eternity. Think beyond. No matter what it is, look at this. Verse 12, he said, In all holy conduct, looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord. Now I'm going to read this from the the Amplified. Notice this. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief, and then the heavens will vanish with a mighty and thunderous roar. And the material elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and the works that are on it will will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. In other words, this is how it's going to happen. What kind of people ought we to be in the meantime? In holy behavior, that is a pattern Of daily life that sets you apart as a believer. And in godliness displaying profound reverence or respect toward our awesome God. While you earnestly look for and await the coming of the day of God. For on this day the heavens will be destroyed by burning... And the material elements will melt with intense heat. But in accordance with His promise, we expectantly wait new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, beloved, since you are looking forward to these things, be diligent and make every effort to be found by Him at His return, spotless, blameless, in peace, that is, inwardly calm, with a sense of spiritual well-being and confidence, having lived a life of obedience to Him. Think of that. How many Christians live with internal conflict because they don't do what they know they're supposed to do? So they don't live with an inward sense of peace that I'm doing what I need to do today. It may not look big and grandiose. It may not have all the fireworks, but my heart is calm and at peace with you. I'm obeying you. Those little things, day after day, build big walls that turn into big houses and big things. You understand what I mean by that? Little acts on an ongoing basis. You know, how many people start off to do something big and they toss a bunch of stuff in, but they never come back to work on it? I had a neighbor before I moved out of Gold Canyon who had a, well, about a 68 or nine Chevelle. And uh, he got all this stuff and it was in his garage. And then day after day and year after year after year after year, that thing sits with nothing being done to it. He started off good, but there's no end product. So don't worry about just how where you're at. Just know the little bit today matters a bunch. A small invitation, a recognition, a mindset. Cuz listen, God knows the end from the beginning. He wants us to be purposeful. He wants you to know you have life. You were created to do this. Actually, if we were created in Christ unto good works inwardly, you were created to submit to God that's where you'll find the greatest pleasure. Inwardly, you were created to do his will. That's where you're going to find the greatest pleasure. If you want less pleasure in life but want temporary fulfillment, don't do it God's way and you'll find hey, this is kind of fun, but it's kind of like something starts missing inside. It's kind of like the one when they wanted a king, you know, in the Bible. You know, he he said, you know, don't be like everybody else wanting what they have. All the other nations want a king. I want to be your God. You know, I wonder if the Lord still says that to us. "Don't, Don't be like everybody else who just wants everything. But want me. Live for me. Go after me. And they said, no, 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 we don't want that. We don't want to be ruled by you. They said, we want to be like everybody else. And they have a king. They have something natural they can go to, they can look to. And God said, don't do that. That's not what I want for you. And they argued with God and they pleaded with God and they said, this is what we want. And do you know the Bible said that God granted them their petition? If you know something's wrong, don't keep petitioning God. Because some people think he won't give it to you. He will. There are times he will. Well, good, because I want it. You may not want it because they got it. And he said, because they got a king and became like everybody else, he said, therefore, you will have leanness for your soul. Inwardly, you won't be full. Inwardly, you won't have a fullness. Isn't it interesting? The Bible said, he who would try to save his own life will lose it. But he who would lose his life for my sake, really just to go after it, him, he said, you would find it you'd find what life is all about. And isn't it cool that those come down to our choices? That means I'm in control. You know, be careful what you say. Don't say, oh, they make me mad. Those people make me mad. He makes me mad. She makes me mad. No, they may do something that rubs you, but you allow yourself. We're more in control than we recognize in some of these areas. Because some people say, well, God's in control. God's not in control. It is totally a wrong thought to think God's in control. Ultimately, the things within his plan, certain things are going to come to pass, but God's not in control. I know people don't like that, but God's not in control. If he was in control, he'd make everybody get saved. That's his will. None would go to hell. Somebody said, well, he just doesn't pick everybody. Well, then God doesn't love the world, and he didn't die for the world. He did. People have to respond to him. You with me? If he's in control, then you have to say when somebody's drunk and runs over a little kid, God was in control. He was not. He was not in control of that. He already told people, don't, we read this last week, it's stupid to get drunk like the world does, don't do it. That was his command. So is He promoting that person to do that? No, we live in a world where God gives us a free will to choose, and He will assist, He will influence, He will work, He will strengthen, He gave you eternal life inside, and if you'll cooperate, you can have a great time. Doesn't mean you're not going to face things. But understand, God will work with you, but He will not control you. We all know that because there's been times God's dealt with you and you went, Nah, I'm not doing that right now. -uh, I ain't doing that right now. Anybody ever been dealt with by God and you didn't obey Him? Then you know God ain't in control. I don't care what preacher said. God, Well, it sounds good because then when catastrophic stuff comes, God's in control. Like we're a giant ant farm. And he's like pouring water and lighting stuff with a cigarette lighter, burning ants, you know, with a giant magnifying glass. He's just in control, and that's just what he's doing. No, that's not what he's doing. If he was in control, did he send Adam and Eve to purposely sin? No. Because he told them don't. He gave them choice. But thank God, no matter what the failure of man, he can help and begin to work, and we can move forward. We just need to think eternally minded. Amen?